Hey, y'all. Welcome to All About the Pod podcast with the University of Georgia Peanut Team. I am Macy Wheeler, your host, bringing you real-time updates from our scientists, extension specialists, extension agents, growers, graduate students, and everyone in between. All right. Good morning. This is episode 30. And today we got quite a few people with us again. Um, I suppose the, the rain has allowed everybody to come in and, and visit again. We got Eric Prosco, Glenn Harris, Scott Tubbs, the Honorable Robert Camerite, and myself. And so today we're just going to talk about what's going on around us and what's what we've seen this week, which has been kind of interesting because I've seen water. i tell you what's water. interesting to me is sitting around this table and looking at the gray hair and watching Dr. Prosco work a kink out of his shoulder. and uh, <laughs> I, I can tell you that story if you want. I fell in the, fell in the corn combine and hurt my shoulder last summer and it still hurts. We ain't as young as we used to be. I anyway, I digress. I, well, yeah, I noticed. I've been telling my wife, you know, she's got gray hair in her hair, in her Scott, hair and I said, I don't have any. I don't, I've never had. And then I then I noticed the other day, I've got I've got some some salt starting to sprinkle in. Though. Like that's a bad thing. Well, Roscoe uh, said he thought you dyed your hair. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think I think my father did that when he was fifty. You know, he jet black hair. Yeah. You know, and never had a hair as thick as your gray except for his, in his beard. And I always ask him. What's going on? What's going on? You don't have any care. He says, oh, it's just it's just me. That's he good. said, I, and I never knew. I didn't know if he did or didn't. So, and I was hopeful. I was hopeful I wouldn't have any, but it just showed up. But, yeah, we have um, probably quite a few things to talk about. I, I've made several field visits this week. You know, some of that is getting back in and replanting. And, and I know we're very, very late, but I know people still can make a small crop or a decent crop. It depends if we drop and we're hot all the way through the fall. But the biggest thing is, is they just, some of these guys just need to make a crop. But well, we are looking at some pretty rough situations uh, right now with the weeds. I think your phone's Eric, probably been bringing more than most. And then Bob on the disease side, trying to figure out, all right, God knows we're already a little far behind, you know, not to mention gypsum or anything else. Yeah, we're not you know? quite, you know, we'll get, we'll get a little further down the road to gypsum. I'll get more gypsum calls, <laughs> but is it too late? Yeah. Yep. Is it? No. Is, is it uh, ever, can it ever? Yeah, you get, you get, you get up 60, 70 days and you've got a lot of vines out there. You might do more, you might do more damage running over the vines, especially if you really didn't need the gypsum that much in the first place. So yeah, it can, it can get too late. We're not there quite yet, though. So let's take care of the weeds and the diseases. So, so we can use that gypsum when we put it out. So that is a good time. Kind of lead in um, to Eric. One of the biggest calls that, or one of the interesting calls that I got this week, and we talked about it a little bit. Several of these guys going, well, I, I can't get in the field and I need to spray. I'm going to go get a drone spray. Ah, I mean, well, that, you know, that's where, where are we doing on that? What certainly, is? that's a hot topic, right? Everybody's into drones now. That's the new, the new buzzword for whatever reason. And uh, there's been some work done. Most of the work that's been done that I can see, it's based on uh, the parameters that go into spraying, like droplet size and. Uh, height above the canopy and uh, how the propellers affect the dis- distribution of the spray, but not a lot of information about actual performance, right? So that's that's what troubles me is that 
there's not many papers that say Scott, for example, uh, I, I sprayed all I sprayed my entire program with a drone at four gallons per acre versus a 15 gallons per acre with a tractor. That data, at least I can't find it there yet anyway. So, uh, you know, there's a little bit of tid, tidbits of data that says, yeah, it's working OK or a couple places not as good, you know, but not a lot of a lot of volume of data for for low water, that kind of low water volume. Um, How low are you talking about? Four gallons, three gallons. I think it holds like eight gallons. Yeah, right? so yeah, you can spray two, two, two yeah. yeah, so if they spray two gallons of water, I mean that's not a lot. And the other thing I think about in that scenario, Scott, when we're spraying two gallons of water. Let's just say in a scenario where we're spraying two gallons of water, but if I'm spraying sixteen ounces of dual, twelve and a half ounces of cobra, sixteen ounces of two four DB, four ounces of cadre, I got no room for the water. What's that going to do to the crop? We might get more injury than you would think that burn a little bit. More, right? I would say that it would uh, potentially, but again, I don't have any. There's no and I would say we're not trying up. to bash. Oh no, the whole idea of no, this. No, it's just that you need to think about all this, right? That's right. Everybody needs to think you know, about I, all this. I, I said this, you, so. You you got a copy of the blog that I wrote yesterday. You know, I started spraying in 1987. I have never sprayed a herbicide less than 10 gallons of water in my entire career. So I don't have experience with spraying lower water volumes. I don't like spraying lower water volumes, uh, but we're going to do what we got to do. Most, not all, just I learned this. I didn't know this. Cadre does not have an aerial label. You can't put Cadre out by plane. So, or, or any, a lot of them and, don't. Gramoxone well, Gramoxone does. No, no, it does? yeah. Gramoxone, okay. all the ones that we could use except Cadre, Gramoxone, uh, Storm, Blazer, Cobra, 24DB, all have aerial labels. So, but, but I've heard that the airplane guys won't put them out. Yeah. Is that? I is there know. a liability thing as far as how much you're burning outside? Well, I guess if you're spraying gramoxone, right? So uh, that might might be a, an issue. Uh, but uh, I was going to say you could use the plane because they usually go like three or five gallons. Mm -hmm. But do they spray a lot of the herbicides like that? Usually, I don't think so. generally no. But there, but there are if you if you look on the labels, there are minimum GPAs for aerial applications. They usually range between three and seven gallons of water per acre. So that's an, I mean, if somebody's willing to, if an aerial applicator is willing to do it and that's all we can do, I'm, I'm going to say that's better than not doing it. Well, that's probably more efficient, more effective. I say, we don't know about more effective, but more efficient than the drone because you know what I'm talking about? Spot spraying right. is what that's meant right. for right. And, and, uh, a couple acres at a time. Right. Not the whole field. You if know? you've got a thousand acres to get across there's Probably not a way you're going to use a drone to get that's a process. That's a lot of fill-ups at, at, at a sprayer that holds it four gallons or something. Yeah, they, you know? claim, they claim now, though, you know, they got they got extra sets of batteries, right. two drones at a time, and they work their way across right. the field. I think they, they can go as fast as the ground rig. Right. I don't know if that's I, true I or think, not, like I, I said. I have heard that people have told that, you know, and, and the companies that do, that do this is that when they have multiple – drones you know one's going across the field while they're refueling the other one and charging batteries and as soon as that other one's coming back that other one's going okay. so, so there's a possibility so there's, there's a but this possibility. is not probably not going to be a very cheap cheap option no no 
Uh, I don't even know one of, one of those, you know, what that would cost. There is a couple of people running around. Didn't, didn't you say, Glenn, there was somebody in your class that's doing it? Yep, uh, yep. I know. Uh, uh, for hire. Uh, yep, he's doing it commercially. Right around here. And right? Of course we got, okay. yep. And of course we got Simmer Burke working on it from the research. So, I mean, so that's a potential option. It's just not going to be something and, and that just, everybody can flow. There's just not a lot of, I, I worry, there's just not a lot of data, right? right. Just, yeah. uh, I feel, I'm, I don't ever like to tell anybody to do anything if we don't have a lot of good data. Now, if you go on the line, online, all the companies are like, yeah, it's great, but there's no published right. uh, university data. So um, that scares me a little bit. There, There's no good, you know, good database to base a good recommendation on. But in the absence of not being able to get in the field. So we're going to dry out. We're going to dry out sometime in the near future, you would hope. But, I mean, do you have a prescribed rescue treatment for growers? I have one that I've been telling people, uh, and I've used this a lot. And, uh, of course, we're probably going to be past the time when we spray gramoxin. We, we can talk about that if you want to. What, what's the deal with that? But I've been telling people, first of all, if you got grass in the field, which you probably do, probably need to spray your grass herbicide first, like Select or whatever one you like. Spray your Select, wait about three days, and then come in and spray a mixture. If uh, I'm just saying this is by ground now, not by air. A mixture of Cadre, Cobra, 2,4-DB, and a, a group 15 herbicide like uh, Outlook, Warrant, Zidua, Dual Magnum, or Anthem Flex. And that's been my best chance of, of cleaning up a mess. Yeah. Now, if you got pigweed in the field that are bigger than six inches, that's probably not going to work. Uh, you're going to have to think about something else like a rope wick or a wiper or something like that later down the line. And that was the other thing we talked about, wasn't it? That if you're talking about drones and this, that, and the other, the cost of a drone versus cost of two rope wicks. Right. You know, would that be better in this session? Because we're talking about small peanuts, but yeah. you can get across and take care of a lot of weeds. Yeah, you can, and it works. And it works well. We still have the label for Paraquat. And uh, back in the early days of uh, Palmer Amaranth, when we didn't know what we were doing, everybody was sort of playing around with it, and we figured out how to use that and, and make it work. So that's certainly on the table. So with that idea, all right, rescue treatment. We go out. We're going to burn some peanuts. Mm, no doubt. Yeah, right. you're, you're spraying four, between, four things four things on there. You know, you're going to. between 30 and 50, 60 days here. Bob, when do we put our fungicides out? Are we doing that ahead of the burn or a week after the burn? It's definitely not a day or two after a burn because it's not going to help our foliage side. So what, what, what do we need to do there? Most important thing we can possibly do <clears throat> right now is given all that we have. First of all, just... Why are we so? Why is the threat really there for the least spot? Why do we need to really pay attention? The weather's conducive for it. The weather, the for infection, the rain splashing the spores up off that. Just the physical action of the rain is going to make it worse. And the fact that we can't get in there. You know, when when Dr. Prosco calls me after mass on Sunday and asks me what he should be spraying, you know, and he goes out and sprays his plots after mass, you know, that, that tells us what it is. So. My thinking on this is we don't want to booger the leaves up any more than we can. We don't want to burn. We want to be careful what we mix. But I don't. We don't want to delay any more than we have to already. So I'm less concerned. I guess what I should say is, if the concern is when after a herbicide application, first thing is can you mix with the herbicide and put it out? And most of the time we can. Second thing is, uh, I, I would be less worried about the timing of that fungicide in relationship to the burn than I would be um, getting it out there. That being said, I got some emails from Albert Colbreth, our research path plant pathologist, 
and he's getting questions all the time, like I am, and he's got he's got a lot of the research data. What do we do? What do we do with these delayed things? If you talk to if you've talked to me, I always have mentioned Preaxor and Lucento at 45 days uh, as, a, as a good shot in there. Um, if you've been spraying Bravo to mix something like Alpha with it, uh, something like Domark maybe with it, um, sulfur going out with some of these things, that's one we'd want to be careful with herbicide. Yeah. But the one that's uh, that, that we're really looking at now, Albert's data is showing that um, in addition to the Lucento, the Preax or the Alto uh, Bravo things, uh, Provisol from BASF has been looking something that I've usually talked about using later in the season. But Provisol, the puzzle. BASF, that can be something. There you go. But the one that's, and this brings me up to Eric's comments of what we could do, what we can't, is uh, the one that's really looked good. In addition to those, I feel like that guy from NASCAR, you know, put the right hat on. But <laughs> but uh, in addition to those is Provo Silver. You know, I've talked a lot, Scott, about Provo Silver being Lazarus fungicide. It went from being, okay, you sell it to your mother and your aunts and uncles. And now everybody wants to use it later in the season. Um, right now, Provo Silver, according to Albert State, is one that's looking real good early so we in the season. Early. If you are delayed in planting, in addition to the ones I've talked about, Provo Silver, I mentioned because... Bob said, hey, you know, we need to use that at the end of the season. Robo Silver is also looking good in the early season. But the point of this is that's one that if we're going to mix or if we're going to use Provo Silver, mixing has sometimes gone the wrong way because of, because of injury. Yeah, we've had some injuries with Provost mixing uh, over the years. Sometimes it's fine. Other times it's not been fine. And most of our fungicides are oil-based fungicides, right? No, that's... Uh, they're not? No. So a few okay. of the... In fact, we're trying... Those EC-type formulations, we're trying... And most of them are no longer EC okay, formulations. Good. And has really has more to do with the smell affecting the general population than anything else. But um, the point is, your question is an excellent one. But timeliness is everything now. When we can get in the field, we got to recognize this powerful uh, pressure... Um, but with the exception of maybe Provo Silver, I'm not so much worried about a tank mix. But with Provo Silver, it's it's surging and being popular early on or appropriate early on. And that's one, Eric, where we would watch carefully. Yeah. What we do. Yeah. So uh, just from a, a logic perspective, I would say, though, um, if you're talking about broadleaf weeds that are up above the canopy and, and they're, you know, they're, they're branched out or a lot of grass out there, wouldn't it possibly be better to spray the herbicide first to knock those back so that then when you go across with you the fungicide, the you can actually, yeah, you can actually hit the peanuts. No, no, no doubt. That's, you know, that's why we want to control weeds, right? Because they do, they, you know, they compete with the crop for new moisture, nutrients and light, but they also keep fungicides from getting on the plants. So uh, that's probably a good point, um, especially if it's a jungle, right? If you're, if you've got a peanut field, like you were saying, Scott, you were in yesterday, that's completely covered, Bob. How much of that's getting? How much fungicide's getting on the plant? Now you're going to get. It's going to. You're going to get root uptake, right? For if, if it's that kind of material, maybe. But you're not going to get a lot on the peanut leaves. Yeah, so, if it's Bravo. You're not going yeah, to lose. We're not going to get any. With the kind of uh, systemic activity we're acting for is localized. We're not going to get any really root uptake on anything. It's going to be what gets on the leaf and then it's redistributed right. on the leaf. So yeah, if we don't have good weed control. <laughs> We're not going to have good disease control. So, Lynn and, and Scott, the other part of this are if we can get under control of the weeds and all that. But if we stay wet here in these in these wetter areas, the first you know the conversations I've had with a lot of people <clears throat> is as soon as I get 
in the field, it dries out to the point where I can at least get in the field whether I'm budding a little bit or not. I'm going to put some fertilizer out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to put biological this on it, biological that on it, and I'm going to kickstart this thing and it's going to grow off. Is that necessarily the correct thing to do? I mean, will it work? I don't think so. In my 29 years, you know, there's some things you can fertilize out of and some things you can't. Uh, we've learned you can't really fertilize out of nematode problem. Um, you, you can't fertilize out of saturated soils. Yeah. Um, you know, you just, they, they don't want to hear it, but, you know, you just got to wait till it dries out so that plant can start functioning again, start fixing nitrogen again, start taking up nutrients again and all that. So, you know, yeah, you know, there are some situations where we might put some ammonium sulfate on to, to try to help promote them and, and, and go and all that, but, but I drowned out. And I didn't think you could drown the South Georgia sand when I first got here, but you know, you get these kind of rains, you yeah, saturate you the top pretty good. good. So you notice the irrigation specialist isn't here today. We told him we didn't need him. <laughs> you know. He got fired this week. <laughs> but I did ask him, I said, well, I assume all those moisture sensors in the top are at saturation. He said, yeah, if they're not broke, they're at saturation. Well, this so. is a good place in time you can check things. Yeah. You know, and all that. Yeah, that's so, right. Make yeah. sure your sensors are working at the top because they're probably. Yesterday, they got over 12 inches of rain. Yeah. We, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, I work in cotton too, and, and that's a different story. You know, we're worried about, you know, side dress nitrogen. You know, did you lose it if you already put it out and that stuff? But, you know, with peanuts, to me, it's all about, you know, you got to let them dry out. And, and get to working again and 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 get your gypsum on if you need it um spray a little boron you really got you got time for that we're not in a panic mode yet in my opinion um we're, we're early yeah, we gotta get our roots back you know get yeah. air back in soil yeah but i don't know of any out. product that will fertilize you out of really drown so, out soils so one thing that i heard uh or i asked and i and i could agree with it some you know we've talked about it we don't talk about it much right now but say I, you know, peanuts not growing off very well because of saturated conditions, but I can get in the, I'm drying down to a point, I can get in the field. Can I sink a plow in the middle of the row and stir the soil up and will that aerate and help out? You know, I, you know, we've gotten away from that. And, I, and again, working all the crops, I'd be more likely to do that on corn and cotton. But peanut, I just don't like throwing dirt up on those vines. Well, not to throw them on, but I'm talking about yeah. just to run yeah, in the run middle. That's what they were talking about. Maybe if you're in Berrien County, <laughs> 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 you know, flatwood type soil, I might do that. Yeah. But uh, but across the board, I'm not, I'm not really sure how much I, that helps. you say that. I, I do that in my research plots. I run the tire tracks. And that's what, yeah. Just, just break them back to, up. Break them back up. Get the filtration. And then we'll get... Mm-hmm. More, you know, the water when yep. we're irrigating, it seems like the water yep. is going in more and less running off because it's not yeah. you know, like, a, like a piece of pavement. You know? yes. But it's and an extra trip. And I know people are trying anything right now yeah. if they can get going. Um, but I would say before we go slinging a lot of fertilizer and all that out, we got to let, let it, like you said, we got to let it dry out and let the plant rebound a little bit. Because again, you throw it out there and the roots hadn't even started to grow again. Or if they're compromised, we're yep. not going to do very much. Now, it's a shame that Wes is not here because one thing that three solid weeks of water is doing is causing us not to put down a, a, a real deep root system. Now, we talked about it last week a little bit. Yep. So growers in some fields, if you were absolutely saturated, you know, and you got small plants, and I'm talking about less than 30-day-old plants, you need to pay attention as we go forward. If we start drying off, they're going to wilt quicker unless we can get that root system down. Um, 
And right now, there's no reason for them to go down. They got plenty of water where they're at. So just something to watch out for. Scott, you got anything to add? No, just again, I mean, I'm thinking through things as it's being discussed. Um, Like Glenn said, you know, it's when it's wet, um, even if you put an inoculant out and you have good rhizobia bacteria nodulating the plant, it is nitrogen fixation is a aerobic process it requires oxygen so if that soil is saturated um, you may look like you have a nitrogen deficiency because you technically probably do but does that mean you need to go add nitrogen fertilizer probably not because once the uh, once the soil dries out a little bit the oxygen gets to the root system uh, nitrogen fixation will start kicking in again and those plants will green back up um, so, you know, just addressing it from an inoculant standpoint, you don't necessarily need to go out and be putting out uh, nitrogen over the top to, to green them back up because it does. It is worth looking at the root system, though, to see if the nodules are there, because yeah. that is that is a situation where you, oh, well, Tub said it, we don't need to. But if there's no nodules there and an amazing, amazing part is, if, you know, you can get nodulation failures, inoculant failures, and, and Dr. Tubbs and I have uh, work together doing on some of those and the recommendations for 60 pounds of nitrogen a lot of people like to use ammonium sulfate for some reason you could probably use any kind of nitrogen but ammonium sulfate um but you know that that plant probably fixes like 200 and everybody says man 60 can't be enough but you remember 60 for some reason 60 is enough well, in that situation right. we tried 120 180 and we didn't get any any, any better any better response deal. so there are there are there can be some situations you really want to catch those fairly early you know, inoculate 30 days after planting, inoculation failure, you know, fix it, put some nitrogen on. But that's different than you had a well-nodulated peanut and now you're saturated just sitting there. That, that's a temporary thing, hopefully. And, you know, we are behind. We're, we're getting a little bit further behind. Um, I was in some young peanuts yesterday that were blooming like crazy, and they were 35 to 40 days old. And so they what looked to be 35 to 40 days old. They were close to that. Um, you know, and, and we are behind a little bit related to that. Eric, I know we're going to have to, we're going we're gonna to burn these peanuts. We're going to booger them up pretty bad trying to clean things back up. I will say, in all my road trips this week, you know, what we've just sit around and talked about the worst case scenario thing, it's not that much of the acres. A majority of what I've seen looks yeah, wonderful. I've seen a lot of good clean fields. Yes, yes. And so we got great activation. I think what we're seeing now is the worst case scenario is things that's got planted within the last three weeks or four weeks, you know, and we're just trying to get there. And we went through that little dry spell, but then we just got wet. And so that's... I think one of the things that we're seeing... Maybe the guy that you were with yesterday might argue with me, but where guys put out a pre, it worked, and where they didn't, they got a mess. Yeah. Right. So there's, it's always a good idea to put a pre out, uh, to, to, especially when we get into situations like this where you can't get back in the field for a certain period of time, and then it's getting to be almost too late to do anything. So uh, the power of a pre is is real. As long as it gets activated by moisture, of course, if you're a dry land grower and it doesn't rain on it for 10 days, it's probably not going to work. But, uh, at least 50% of our crop should not have weeds in it if we put a pre out. That's right. That's right. And, I mean, like I said, most of our crop looks good. Most of the crop looks good, and I will say that. We talked about how good the cotton crop looked, you know, when the peanuts were really dragging. 
and they are starting to slowly get into gear if we could just get some sun and and all and so i think that's going to change things quite a bit um i know in the upcoming episodes we'll talk a little bit more about gypsum and things we got to look at there uh because we're gonna you know we might be in a situation where we have to do some different things and so we'll save that for the next go round. um tubs you seen anything related to the the variety so far that that's out there have you noticed any differences everything growing off very well um i noticed early in the season um with some of the varieties uh, a variety trial that we did um, there was definitely some vigor difference in coming out of the ground with it being, you know, a little bit cooler season. Um, some peanuts jumped out of the ground a lot quicker than others. So the stage of growth, it may, it may vary by variety, but at this point in the season, I mean, once they're in the ground and up and running, um, that's just a matter of them catching up. So a lot of times with, uh, if we can get some nice sunshiny weather and, um, and get temperatures, those, those varieties that are behind are probably going to catch up. I mean, they're going to start growing. They're going to start lapping. But there's a good possibility that certain varieties may lap up middles quicker than others. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> and I would I would ask everybody, um, all your growers out there that are listening, you know, ask your county agents where those some of those variety trials are. Because this may be a great chance to see which ones really do well in these these kind of conditions um it's widespread throughout the state so we know wet throughout the state and things are going the way they are but it'd be a good chance if you are a grower if you're an agent try to put together a a little mini tour for growers in your in your counties uh some of these are right next you know a couple of counties apart you could easily do that um I would just throw a bone in real quick about the cotton and peanut research field day, which is September the 6th or 7th. I can't remember which one it is. I got it on my calendar. Uh, 6th. September the 6th here in Tifton. Uh, growers, this is a great chance to come out and see all of our new uh, varieties as well it's as some Wednesday. of the some of the other things that's going on. So um, just can't a chance to come out and do that <clears throat> i will say um as we go forward to keep a watch or, or have your acre i mean have your agents out there try to map out what our growing degree day units are uh like we mentioned earlier we are behind and so that's gonna that's gonna matter when we get down to maturity because if you've got a field that that um slow growing to begin with didn't bloom right away we didn't get all this so it could be that we're going to be later on that maturity so just some things to think about there uh bob just re-entered the room so we have to you know kind of not say anything about him anymore but yeah that's right um sorry bob we just talked about you a lot but no no um bob is there and anybody here what are what are some of the things that are limiting as far as products this year anything well, for, for me, there was a cobra shortage, um, apparently. But uh, after I heard that from a couple of growers, I called Valen and said, hey, was there something going on? And they said, yeah, there is, but we're going to fix it. And I got a text yesterday from them saying that there should be cobra around. So it's, supply should not be the reason why you don't use cobra. Probably won't like the price, but it is better on bigger pigweed than uh, Ultra Blazer. It's just the first year in a while I've not got any qualms about worry about gypsum. So, 
I'm assuming we got enough out there right now. I see a lot of piles on the ground ready to go. Do we have an in? You know, you hear about the industry as far as pesticides go. We kind of have an idea of into of our um, how much product we have to start the season. Do we have any idea how much product of gypsum in any given year is available, whether that's smokestack or, or the 500 coming into Savannah or wherever? I mean, do they have an, an inventory list of, of what we have available? No, I think it's more that the, the, the companies that, you know, we've gotten in tune with to, to handle it, they know where they need to be. Okay. I mean, as okay. long as you don't hear any rumblings about that, they're probably in pretty good shape. Um, sometimes USG five come, 500 comes from Spain and comes into Brunswick and the boat gets held up. That can be an issue, but I haven't heard any, Why is that? any comments Why about is that? that. What is different about USG 500 than the other stuff? It's, it's a naturally mined product. It either comes out of Spain or, or Canada, and, and a lot of what we're getting is coming out of, from Spain coming over to Brunswick. So um, One time it got held up because they had the, like the, the G7 political meeting, and they wouldn't let the boat in yet. That was held up for like a oh, week really? or something. Yeah, so it's yeah. great, crazy stuff like that. So why are we not getting more out of Canada? I don't know. Um, we are getting some, I think. And, uh, you know, USG 500 is the one that's naturally mine that's a little drier. They go a little less rate sometimes. But okay. the other one we're using the most of is the, is the smokestack or called FGD, flue gas for the coal burning. When natural pr- gas prices go up, we burn less coal, and there's, you know, can be less of that. But we, we still are getting to that. Okay. And we've even, I think, one major fertilizer company is going back to tapping into the old phospho gypsum. We got away from that just for handling reasons, logistic reasons, but uh, going back to that. So we, you add all that up and we we, we got some options and we usually don't have a shortage. You can use the fine gypsum if you need it. Fungicides? Yeah, fungicides, great question. Is For the most part, they're readily available. The ones that I would say, and, and the reason why it's important, we've already, I've already mentioned today, is uh, Provo Silver and Propulse, Propulse Frost from Bear Crop Science, combination of vellum and prothioconazole um, proline, uh, which can be used to, for nematode control post-emergent 60 days after planting. Both those are likely going to be somewhat restricted. And so for growers who are looking to use propulse or probo silver now or uh, later in the season, my suggestion is A, to recognize there's other good products out there if you can't get it. Uh, you don't have to use it to get excellent control, but if you do want to use it, it'd behoove you to go ahead and, and, and start making plans or to find out who's got it and where you're going to get it and when you can get it. And then the last thing I know from, from my perspective, with all of the rank growth that we are potentially going to have, I know a lot of people have been asking a lot of questions about the growth regulator again. I will be cautious or would like to, the growers be a little cautious. If we remain in saturated soils, we learned two years ago, If you, even though it will control the rank growth, we won't get as much of a yield response when we have saturated soils and the root system is not there. Maybe the, the saturation is a natural growth regulator. It, it is. As far as pods go, right. they are. <laughs> they, uh, I mean, we just won't make the yield. Yeah. And so I want I don't want a grower to go out and throw $35 away if, if we're not going to have the yield potential to carry it. 
And so just some things to think about. Um, you make sure those roots aren't rotted too. Because right, you go out right. and put fertilizer out on a plant that has a rotted root, that root. And so hopefully you have a crop consultant or a good scout because that is going to save you in making those kind of decisions. Do I have good root systems? Do I have the crop doing what it needs to do? And so just be aware of that. I, can I, I got three other things. That just three other things. Three Come other on. things. Throw it out there. All right, even though we've got fields, let's say at least 50% of our crop that's irrigated has good weed control but and when we get a lot of rain residual herbicides don't last so don't think the game's over because uh, I'm feeling like at this point a lot of our residual herbicides are probably gone or close to being gone so if you have an opportunity to get back in the field and put another residual on and, and here I'm talking about dual warrant residual out, outlook and anthemflex if you're done with your regular weed control program, you can throw one of those in with your fungicide, Bob, to give you a little more residual of pigweed and, and annual grasses. Um, because we're in a pinch, everybody wants to mix everything together. But just remember, we mix a grass herbicide with a bunch, like Select, with a bunch of stuff. It's probably not going to work as good as if you sprayed it by itself. Uh, you're probably you could lose anywhere from 10 to 25 percent of your grass control in some scenarios so it's always better to spray the grass herbicide and then spray whatever else you're going to do a couple of three days later but if you you know people are going to do it if you do it you're not going to get as good a grass control third thing is and i'll shut up is that florida beggar weed is a wet weather weed Right. So I'm anticipating, you know, Valor is not going to last as long as it normally does because we've had 12 plus inches of rain in some places. So we're probably going to see some Florida beggar weed late in the season, which means we're probably going to think about using classic. Uh, we haven't used a lot over the last few years, but that is still on the table. We've got new information about some of the newer varieties that we're growing. You know, just check out the UGA Pest Control Handbook. Uh, but I'm, I'm thinking, I'm predicting that we may see some Florida, Florida beggar weed problems that we haven't seen before because it's a wet weather plant. What about spiderwort? Spiderwort and other day flowers are bad this year. They are wet weather plants as well. Yeah, okay. So uh, hopefully those have been controlled if, if we're getting peanuts you know those need to be controlled either at planting or early post-emergence the later we grow in the season uh we really can't control them yeah. Good. the um and i know we were putting plugs in for the cotton and peanut research field day and i forgot that we've got two kind of important things going on too in the state of georgia one of them is another field day, and that's that's in August, and that's the, the Midville Research Field Day. So if you're in East Georgia, that one is August um, 9th, I believe. 9th. August 9th. Or did they change it to the 11th? Did I get that one? Or did they change it? I got confused. Double check me. I got 9th on my calendar. I think that's right. Oh, so August 9th is Midville. Yep. Okay, so August the 9th. Um, and so if you are a grower, you know, make sure to, to be in that uh, quite a way. Uh, um, put that on your calendar. Now, the other thing is, is we do have our peanut research and education meeting in the state of Georgia this year, national which is a, our national meeting. Um, and so we have a lot of county agents that go to that. We have a lot of researcher extension people go to that. But, you know, not a bad idea. Sometimes the girls come over and take a look. At it's that. in Savannah. It's in Savannah. But the biggest thing I want to do is Bob Kimmerite, along with the Midville group, has put together a little tour over there. Uh, and so 
you, you know, if you're an agent, make sure you're involved. That's what I want to make sure of is if you're in those neighboring counties, make sure that you're involved or at least you come over and, and be a part of that. And that's on what day, Bob. That's going to be the Monday before the meeting starts. And just as a plug, we got folks coming from all over the country and all over the world for this meeting. But uh, what they really want to do is they want to they want to see and feel and touch Georgia, you know, the, the Georgia crop. And so we're going to give them a chance to to visit Midville and see UGA research, but also to visit uh, Mr. Lamar Black in Jenkins County and and see uh, see innovation so that goes on my birthday. That's July the July tenth, Monday, July July the tenth, and so just if you're interested, even if you're a grower and you want to come and visit with people from other parts of the U.S., come and visit. Uh, get with your county agent and 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 Anthony. I tell you, Anthony is a godsend for us because he has definitely taken care of a lot of this for us over there and we do appreciate that um we appreciate all the people that work on the station to do that um wednesday august 16th plains the southwest research and education center field day okay so we do have that one up in plains so we got quite a few that you can come out and visit and be a part of uh, whether you're growers or whether you're not. And, and there'll be some of the new varieties at Plains. I know that will be up there. I don't know if that'll be on the tour or not, but uh, I know uh, there's quite a bit of information that'll be shared. And so that's also a, a good one to be a part of. Anything else that I'm missing for this just week? Just add on that one too. You, uh, your people come up and say, hey, you're Bob or you're Eric or Scott or Glenn, whoever. Come these field days and you get a chance to, you know, we, we'd like to say hey to you too. We, we, here we do. We get a chance. So if you do come, make sure you introduce yourself. Come up say hello. You are. Sure. And um, you know the and I will say the agents. I got an email yesterday. Was it a text or email yesterday about the shade tree meeting in Bullock County? So we got agents that like to do shade tree meetings. I wish we'd maybe have more because that that gives us to get people in that county, the growers, to come and just visit with us for a half a day or a couple of hours. The, uh, the other thing is, is we'd love to come out and visit, even in good times. So not when you're having problems all the time. If you want to sit down and have a lunch or sit down in your office and visit with a couple of us, let us know. I know me and Eric uh, are going to try to get out and, and ride the roads once a week as we go forward. We've been trying to do that for the last two years uh, because we've got a lot of new agents. And so we're trying to get out and visit with them and, and kind of see what's going on. So um, if there's something out there you need us to look at over the next month, let us know and we'll be happy to to uh, make our way that to that part of the world and, and try to figure out. All right, any other comments or questions? All right, well, that that is the show today. This is episode 30 of All About the Pod. We, we do appreciate everybody's attention and uh, everybody's willingness to be a part of this. So please let us know if you got any questions, comments, let it go through your agents or give us a call directly. We'll be more than happy to, to put that on this. Thank you very much.